Welcome to the 10th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your hosts, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guests, Devin Kelly, George Sawaya, and Jared Marcel Collins. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. We're here today with the OG Sarah Lawrence gang, Devin Kelly, poet and prose writer and co-host of the reading series, George Sawaya, poet and co-author of A Good Leave with Devin Kelly, and Jared Pollan, fiction and nonfiction writer and author of Unified Field of Loneliness, which is coming out with Crow's Nest, a short story collection due out in March 15th, right, Jared? Am I correct about that? Uh, that is correct. March 15th, good. Okay. This hour's brand of fuckery is brought to you by two... Lovely GABA B agonists, Fenibit and Alcohol, the former of which probably no one knows about, but it's, you know, go look it up. You fucking... Fenibit? Yeah, Fenibit. I think, it, I think it's like, so, I think it's like Fenibut or something, but like, kind of like Kratom, like I'm, I'm not going to say Kratom or like Kratom, I'm just going to keep saying Kratom, you know? Fitbit. Yeah, whatever. Who gives a shit? So, yeah, let's soft call you. It, call it Fitbit. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking tore up from the floor up on this. No, I'm not. I just, I just took a little bit, but I, I really just like can't stop eating. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, seriously, it's, it's fucking gain season out here, man. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about kind of how, how tech and specifically big data is going to affect literature and art in the coming days. So Jared, why don't you talk about a little, we'll, we'll jump off with an article you came up with about House of Cards and how they came up with that Netflix are we, in yeah, particular. Are we, we, we live right now? Yeah, we are. Okay. Sorry. I just, it's all good. We'll cut that. I just, I, I just, I just went to get, I just, I just went to refill my drink. And when I came back, you said March 15th, right? And I said, yeah. And then like, Oh, we're recording. Now. Good dude. Good fucking timing. Actually, I think we'll keep all of this. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, this is something that I learned. I, I stumbled upon it like a couple of weeks ago. It was really startling, actually, which is that Netflix did a big data analysis when they were preparing to launch their flagship show because House of Cards is really what made Netflix. I mean, before that, it was just like a you know mediocre streaming service with like bad quality and no original content. Mm. And Netflix Netflix invested a huge amount of their money in House of Cards. They They invested like 50% of their budget into house of cards. Damn. It was a hu- huge gamble. And I, d- I did they, not know this. Yeah. And they analyzed viewer data from the British house of cards. And they discovered that people who liked the British house of cards were also watching a lot of movies with Kevin Spacey. Hmm. And they were also watching a lot of David Fincher films. Huh. And so of course, David Fincher is an executive producer on house of cards. And then they cast Kevin Spacey for it. And they constructed the show based on, like consumer data, viewer data in that way. And they built that thing like a fucking Big Mac. You know, they built it to be as good as it could possibly be. And it, and it worked. I mean, House of Cards is massively entertaining. Yeah. It makes it me is. wonder if the Big Mac was built on data. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Ray Kroc, man. Yeah. 
That is, yeah, that's that's absolutely nuts. And uh, it's actually funny because the first podcast we ever did was on Sapiens, like very loosely. Obviously, we were more just drinking. But <laughs> I'm, I just picked up Harari's latest one, and I had I had read Homo Data since, or maybe even before that podcast. Yeah, he's talking about big data a lot and how decisions will be made for us. And this is kind of you know this is a harbinger of how we will be force fed art in in a certain way. And it's kind of what's scary about it is that the show's fucking good. You know, yeah. I guess my my view on it is, I'm I'm more f- afraid of I'm less afraid of decisions being made for us than art being taken out of the hand taken out of the hands of artists of creators. Yeah, because we've already seen a lot of programs that are making music that's indecipherable or judged as superior to like you know classical like actual classical composers and stuff you know yeah. and and of course we already have programs out there that can beat any chess player out there um, yeah the role of the algorithm in art yeah so i don't know thoughts or what what are what are our fears and hopes and dreams guys i mean like what's what's the the the, the best case scenario for it if if we want to get imaginative right is that suddenly, uh, by algorithm alone, anybody can make anything beautiful or like touching or entertaining? I'm afraid I don't see, I don't see the downside of it. Honestly, you know, it, it just who knows? Who, what what would the role of art be in that society when you can push uh, push a button and make compelling instances of it? Sure. I mean, well, to me too, though, it, it, art doesn't exist as much as we would perhaps at times like for it to exist in this way. I do not think it exists in a vacuum. And so therefore, if, if we live in a world where a great deal of art is made in response to, or as a result of say data, pulling people's interests and pulling their wants and needs, we also are most likely living in a world where everything else is doing that as well, where we are eating and, and, and exercising and voting in a world where all these things are sort of aggregates of pulling data based on our wants and needs. Therefore, if art is doing that in a world where everything else is doing that, then what is the value of art? If art is, you know, like it, art should be running counter or should be running in at least tangentially or critiquing, glancing off the mainstream. In a world of big data, art to me is becoming the mainstream. And that is more dangerous to me, I don't know, maybe than it seems. Yeah, I, I, I agree that it's dangerous. I don't know if it's that dangerous in the field of art. I think it's going to be, there are going to be symptoms within it, you know? Because the, the fear is that, um, yeah, it, it's, it's so, this is so vast. It's hard to know where to start, but one of my biggest fears is that if choice is what makes art, both from the artist's perspective and the consumer's perspective, then what happens when an algorithm knows better than we do? And so when what happens when everyone else is being fed their own preferences and they become so in like, for example, let's take one example. And, and, and I think, and Harari kind of touches on this in his book, but like what happens when we're being tailored our own pieces of art that no one else has access to? Like, let's say an algorithm comes up with a song, right? That's like, Oh, this is the song that you mm-hmm. like, you, it takes some biometric data or something. And like, you know, it sees what's going on with you. And like, you have, you have some, 
compositional program that just like writes this song or like melody or like, you know, ambient noise for you. And then you just don't share it with anyone else. And like that, like kind of destroys art in the sense of like breaking down that, uh, solipsism, you know, that's, that's one of my biggest fears. But at the same time, I mean that, you know, like, like George said, like, obviously that's better for the consumer, for the individual, but does that distance us from each other? So you're talking about well, it makes it make it makes art yeah it makes art less negotiable it makes it less communal right it's going to make it more hermetic but you know that already happened once with the transition from oral culture to print culture I mean the uh, you know prior to the printing press all That's art true. was all art was social in the sense that if you wanted to see a play you know you had to go out to the right. theater with everyone else and experience it with everyone else but once the the printed bound book was invented you could sit in your home and consume you know endless volumes of books without any kind of social experience and i'm sure that there were some people alive at that time who thought that that was in violation of some kind of like essential human communal experience of art so it simply could be another iteration of that phenomenon yeah, that's a good point. Well, I agree, but I would also add to that. I think when that started, just to do some hypertextual critique of what you said, Jared, like I, you probably weren't consuming endless amounts of books. You're probably consuming one book every blah 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 amount of every week or every two weeks mm-hmm. or every month or every year, based on the slowness of of production and also your ability to access that production. What's interesting now is I believe the average human being in in the Western world spends roughly three hours a day on their phone. I believe the latest statistic, just to use one app, is Instagram. I think the average person who has Instagram spends like 32 minutes a day on Instagram. And I would assume that that person is scrolling through at least 100 photos in those 32 minutes, which means that they're then spending, what, 20 seconds per photo? And so it's, we have access to so many things we can consume now, and yet we're spending so little time on each thing we're consuming, and we're in our sort of siloed spaces, like the silo that forms around a human being holding a phone. And so, I, yeah, I, it, 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 to me, it throws a, a deeper wrench into the conundrum of, like, we are so much easier to get, we are, we are data is accumulating on us when we don't even know about it and we're we're also accessing things in in not that much depth i don't know it's just some wrenches throwing wrenches everyone's everyone's getting hurt (laughs) george you wanted to say something i cut you off sorry oh no just to go back to that uh that idea that uh brian raised about art is the sort of communal experience you know which i which i think is definitely one of its functions right art isn't just experienced on the individual level it's it's a shared uh, community experience right we all talk about the newest and best television shows we all talk about the newest albums you know we we like to share art because it helps us sort of maintain our solidarity within the culture, which I think is a wonderful function of art and and one that could be potentially damaged if we are talking about some kind of incredibly perfect system that can just churn out individually perfect instances of, of art for you know a single consumer. I, I think that would be lost. Perhaps that is a detriment of, of, of that fantasy that we're, that we're discussing. But uh, one, one silver lining, I think, is that I think 
I honestly do think that the written word will be one of the last bastions of art that's protected from big data because I don't really know. It is hard for me to, I can see an algorithm taking biometric data and like stuff like that and like creating a song, right? But creating language and like like a story, I don't know what kind of data you'd have to pull have you, for that. Have That's, you seen those? Have you seen those? They often appear on Twitter. People, they're like algorithms that they like. They force a robot to watch an entire season of Seinfeld, and then they they ask the robot to reproduce, to reproduce that like it, to to on a script to write its own episode of Seinfeld, and. They're hilarious. Yeah, like like, like hilariously bad. Or no, like, they they, they're like, they work. Are you serious? It's really scary. It's both really funny and really scary. It, it catches like damn. I saw one with Seinfeld, and it it caught perfectly like the sort of ennui that is prevalent. Like the fact that the robot like was able to capture that sense yeah. of ennui that yeah, it, yeah. that to me defines Seinfeld's humor. God, I'm, um, I'm just like I'm like I'm like dying to jump into this free will conversation now just because of this like yeah <laughs> well, because because of that pattern recognition is just like so. Uh, but I, one one thing I do want to mention is that uh, Devin, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but mm-hmm. I don't think George or Jared are Keaton Patty. Is it? I think that am I am I pronouncing that right? Uh, they're on they're on Twitter, and I think they is the correct pronoun, right? Yeah, the, f- former SNL writer. <laughs> they wrote this like faux hallmark script i and you know not they said like i i i I got a bot to watch a billion hours of hallmark movies and wrote this script and it oh it's like one of the funniest things i've ever read in my life kind of kind of a tangent not an actual you know algorithm but (laughs) i highly recommend anyone check that out well okay so there's like there's something kind of analogous here so you know we all know like that old chestnut of like thousand monkeys working at a thousand typewriters right well, yeah that's that's our closer so yeah <laughs> right and so you know if if enough you know chimps bang away at the keys for long enough just by by virtue of like you know chaos theory they will at some point one of them produce you know a masterpiece but that's completely random you know we're in a situation now where we have highly intelligent mm-hmm machines run by algorithms who are not doing this randomly they're sorting according to preference and according to certain features and certain structures and they can produce you know one bot can produce potentially like a thousand masterpieces in three hours you know if we're dealing with a super intelligent computer right yeah we could be pump we could be we could be pumping out masterpieces daily you know in in huge quantities imagine what that would be like yeah it's gonna make it's gonna make good music look like dog shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) And that, that that was actually a Kanye West reference, not a <laughs> yeah. I got it. <laughs> but again, the que- the question is like, is a society with more masterpieces like is it is it lesser for for its additional masterpieces? No, def- definitely that's not the fear. I don't think the fear is the the quality would that's unquestionably going to you know we'll benefit from the quality aspect. That's that's not under question. Yeah. It's what it's what the it's what's going to happen to us. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you extrapolate the autom the automation factor of like us becoming irrelevant as like laborers, you know, what happens when we become irrelevant as artists and we just become these consumers that just like sit here and, and have things made for us. And I- I'm sure it would be deeply enjoyable in so many ways, but it's very hard to suss out the consequences of it and we won't know until it happens well Um, and i also i i don't think the outcome of a algorithmically produced artistic world would be a bunch of high quality masterpieces 
I think it, it would be in tune with the market, and I think what you would essentially that's be, a fe- that's a fear. I think. Yeah, yeah I think the fear because, is that because you would it actually get what's going to sell to more people. You would get just a mass onslaught of yeah. of essentially your versions of your of your Hollywood blockbusters in literary form or, or, or musical form, which we sort of already have with with pop music, Movies. and then and then the question becomes. And then, like, our analysis of artistic merit is not, is, like, within the concept of the blockbuster. Like, like Black Panther was ostensibly a blockbuster, but people have ascribed to it. It's, it got nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Yeah. It's wild to me. <laughs> and, like, I can go through a list in my head of, of, of summer blockbuster movies and tell you which ones I think were better. And usually my my ability to tell you which things are better is, or my perception is grounded in like the things they do that are artistic. Like if a blockbuster does one crazy plot twist or, or has, a, has a character who is deeply complex or nuanced, but those things are uh, truly like, they're so rare that we, we learn, like we don't, what makes a good blockbuster is usually like we we have to ignore so much of the thing that makes it you know a, a mass produced piece of garbage mm-hmm. right well it's uh because we know the way those films are constructed they're constructed based on market data and they're designed not to fail yeah because there's so much at stake and yeah maybe maybe talking about like you know thousands of masterpieces being produced every day is not the best form of scaremongering but i think what you said Devin, is more likely i think that's true what's more likely is that it will reduce itself to like perfect formula yeah well like look, look what's happened to netflix since house of cards you go on netflix now and it's like when house of cards came out i believe it was how like there were two or three netflix produced shows one was house of cards and one was orange is the new black I could be wrong. And now... That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So not that long ago. And that was like five... 2011 or yeah, something? Yeah, five, 2013, six, seven, I think. Six wow. years ago. It's incredible. And now you go on Netflix and they have... I would... It's also because their budget is huge and a Netflix producer is just, I would assume, something they've bought the rights to or whatever, mm-hmm. the distribution rights to. But now you go on Netflix and like there's a whole fucking slideshow of the Netflix originals and it goes on for infinity. And there are some that just pop up every week as if they're you know, truly a dime a dozen. Yeah. 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 No, that, 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 that's a very, very, very good point. And it makes me think of, you know, one of the, you know, the big, the bigger fears with big data, obviously for me, at least come politically, but, you know, drawing from that, it's like once politics and like people in charge have control, have the keys to the algorithms, the, the fear to me is like, what can you use art for in that sense? Like, like, are we going back to some Soviet propaganda sort of like, you know, the lyric, like subliminal shit. I don't know. I mean, that's caught, that, that might be a little too alarmist, but you know, it is, it's a well, real, it's a real fear to me because like if you, if a politician has the keys to this and they say, you know, and, and you're coordinating the entire grid, like every, everything is connected together. So basically your health, your psychology, like everything, then, I mean, that that can get a little scary about like what art is being filtered through the system, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That was a well, little bit it, of a leap, but <laughs> I think it's true. No, well, no. I mean, that no, that is very true. There's a whole school of neo-Marxist criticism dedicated to that. I mean, that's that's the culture industry. That's the idea that like in a capitalist society, everything is is destined to become pop. Everything is destined to become formulaic and right. hypnotizing. 
you know, yeah, there's a whole yeah. school of Mar- of Marxist theory dedicated to that very concept, which is that like in a in a market driven, you know, capital driven society, any art that is produced will eventually be will inevitably be driven by a profit motive and reduce itself to uh, a formula that serves the consumer foremost and the human being second, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that and that and that that agenda will inevitably produce a kind of like stupefying you know, hypnotizing effect that makes us susceptible to or, yeah, fascism. Or, <laughs> or, or, or at, at, or at the least like lowest common denominator, you know, like hedging kind of stuff. Yeah. The yeah, word to me yeah. is, is less politics and, and more the fact that all of this is in the hands of, of massive yeah. billionaires who can control politics. And like, as like the Cambridge Analytica breach showed with Brexit and I would assume with our recent election, Mm, already does control politics to to a degree. Like Brexit happened in large part because people got their hands on data that suggested that like a large swath of voters, potential voters who never really voted, shared the same opinions. Mm -hmm. And if you could get that giant swath of voters to vote in one direction, then they could sway an entire election. But that data didn't come from politicians. It was fed to politicians by people with moneyed interests. And that's, yeah, I mean, like, that's the worry, the deeper worry to me is that we live in a world where, like, everything we do is controlled by people so far outside the picture, we don't even know who they are. Yeah. And, and yeah, well, one of, the, one of the most effective things about the Cambridge Analytica thing is that they were able to target people individually, you know, not just in swathes, but they were able to create psychological profiles of individuals and target them directly in the ways that they were most susceptible to yeah like on facebook you know, they were like, they were yeah. they were able yeah they were able to tell they were able to to tell you know the best way for you to be deceived yep and you know with regard to art this goes back to what you were saying a little while ago devin that like one 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 respect in which the transition from oral culture to print culture is not analogous is that even in print culture everybody was reading the same books yeah but you know imagine if we're in a culture where like we're all reading our own novels constructed for us based on our psychological profiles. And like, there's no shared experience. Like none of us have read the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously they could make an, you could like, you could make a preference where it's like, okay, well please give me like a 10%, 20% randomized experience, you know? Yeah. But whether they allow that or like it is allowed, that's another question. We, we won't, we <laughs> How won't much know. randomness would you like? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And, 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 and go, and also just going back to, uh, what you were saying about everything, everything in capitalism being ultimately, you know, pop, right? you like right now, the existential risk to not make pop and to make more obscure or like, you know, art, like, like, you know, more literary or more, you know, more art, artful music yeah, or, whatever, or, that or means, yeah, yeah. whatever that means, right? The existential risk is just not that high. You may, you maybe make less money, right? Well, mm-hmm. if I have a day job, who gives a shit? But if the existential risk goes way higher because, you know, if, if you, if you make this, you're not going to make any money or, or maybe it's not allowed or something. That's when it becomes a big problem because if, if people have a big, if people have the keys to big data and they can lock you out. That's where it gets a, a little scary. I'm not exactly sure how that would happen, but I'm sure it could, you know, with, with the technology yeah. available to us. 
certainly in the future. But I mean, you know, uh, when we when we when we talk about the relationship that like pop art has with sort of more mass, well, I, sh- I should say, sort of more artistic endeavors, idiosyncratic endeavors, like uh, the 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 pop and the and the idiosyncratic, the artful, uh, sort of all. I mean, they, they react to one another in a lot of different ways. You know, it, it it is the it is the job of the subversive tempt to sort of take the piss out of the popular. So, I mean, inevitably, as as goes one, so goes the other. I I see no reason why that shouldn't be especially true if most of the world's shared entertainment is being produced by a computer instead of a, a room full of people. I mm-hmm. think they're still going to find their way to to a different a different kind of narrative, a different sort of aesthetic. I think humans are just. I think at a certain point, we just want to resist what what's popular and see if there's not something better. Right? Isn't that I think a like a shared human frustration with the the chafing popularity of certain things? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, um, I, I was just going to break a, a real quick point. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have heard of Hassan Minaj. Yeah, yeah. His his show is really good. The I, Patriarch. I, show, I, right? I mean, I I kind of have like a little preference for him because he makes like constant NBA references and like really like kind of like jockey like. Like early no- uh, like aughts like references that I like really relate to. He's super smart and he's hilarious. But he just did a, his recent episode on China. That's that that's an ex- that's kind of like a counter to what you're saying, George. Like in terms of like that's that all sounds well and good, but that's us in our American culture in a so quote unquote so called you know f- like free country. But if China all of a sudden becomes the superpower. And, you know, we keep globalizing, which is the message that they're sending because they want to globalize China want because they have so much, you know, going for them right now. And if they are able to keep kind of annexing culture, that becomes scary to me. But to your point in that episode, the way that women are handling the Me Too movement over there is like is is amazing. The way they're getting around the censors, they they basically forced Xi Ping's hand to like acknowledge discrimination against women by basically getting around the censors by using words that like Chinese words that made me too, but they would use emojis that were like, you know, basically like whatever the me, whatever me means in Chinese, you know. Mm-hmm. They would use the the uh-huh. you know, whatever like if if okay. it's a fucking I think it was like a it was some like cartoon character. Uh, you know, and it became this like symbol of like the Me Too movement because me meant like that or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm butchering this, but yeah, no, I, I that that's a really good point, but it's 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 still really up in the air to me. And right, well, that's that that's like in 1984 when Winston Smith writes down with Big Brother in his journal. They don't have any language for dissent in that society. The only word he has with down, the only word he has is down, but he somehow manages to express that thought even with like limited capacity. Right, right, yeah, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, which is in itself an artistic quality to be able to express. It's like a defamiliarization. Lot with a yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. Exactly. I think maybe that's where the distinction is to be found, actually, in in the ability to do that. But a potentially even more terrifying scenario is not a world in which everything becomes pop by virtue of the fact that everything's being constructed for us by you know algorithms, but a world in which even a dissenting formula a world in which like a kind of Banksy figure, even though I don't consider Banksy to be really that much of a rebel, but Ooh, a sort uh, of shots, rebellious shots artist. fired. Yeah. <laughs> or, what do you think? Comment or, below. <laughs> you know, it, a, a world in which even like subversive art is also generated by algorithms and it's, it's designed to be like maximally irritating and agitating 
you know, against the mainstream. Yeah. Like, what do we do when, what do we do when even like this supposedly subversive stuff is being constructed, you know, by intelligent, yeah. intelligent bots. And then it's, sub, it's subversively sub, subversive in service of yeah. the mainstream. And you get a sense <laughs> of that. I, I mean, I, I think that to a large part that is dissent is, is now part of the equation. And I think, I think we live in a world now where that is increasing. The Western world is increasingly, I think, moving toward a true binary between, you know, conservative, conservative and liberal, populist and anti-populist, whatever the fuck you want to call populist it. Populist and mainstream. I yeah, guess, like yeah. you, I think we are moving. I think there are people who are definitely enjoying the fact that there are a lot of people upset about the current political culture, either. Or that, that there are, like, it, just to put it, like, that the I would say that there are people who are really enjoying the fact that there are, you know, 40-plus percent of this country supports Donald Trump and the other rest of the country vehemently disagrees with him and are, or, or are trying to push a culture where it's simply those two poles. Because then I think you're easier to control. Yes. And, I mean, like, that's... I don't know enough about, about liberal politics to get into... To, to begin a discussion on that, but that's why, like, the upcoming democratic primary race in america is something i am not looking forward to (laughs) because it is going to be a race to me where no one knows how to talk about a truly better world without like you have to compromise i feel like is a dirty word these days and i I, and i think compromise is because compromise is Mm anti-data it's it is between one and zero that's that's a scary thought to me. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like all, I feel a desperate pull to to plug my 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 new boy who just was on Joe Rogan the other day, Andrew Yang. I think he has some really good he he has some really good ideas about like why Trump won that it go a lot deeper than the the standard like sure. you know tropes that we hear yeah. out there. But anyway, let's move past that. <laughs> I have an, I have an idea for something we should all share. Yeah, let's uh, do sort it. of as like a um it's like right when you write a it, when you're in like fourth grade and you write a letter to your eighth grade self. I feel like we should go around and in, in one to two sentences only I love this. describe what the perfect algorithmically tailored movie, sure, or novel, novel-esque movie plot line would be for you. And oh. then in, in five years, we can see if it's been delivered to us. This is, this is very hard. In one to two sentences. One to two sentences. And like, then, you know, like man comes to town, mystery man comes to town, gets shot, falls in love. And then you have to... Gets, you know, hung... Yeah, that kind of thing. But the, And then you okay, have two to... Okay, two to three sentences, Jared. And, and but like, you, keep it to 45 seconds. 40, 45? Damn, I can... 30 I can, seconds. I can, I can say a bunch of sentences. But yeah, but then you have to lay out the, the algorithm afterwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or like you have to hash you have to like hashtag it okay <laughs> like hashtag violence <laughs> hashtag deep-seated masculinity all right you go first then yeah i'm fucking I, terrified. you want me to go first yeah you have you have to explain it in a series of zeros and ones <laughs> yeah okay Tab, yeah, sure. tabs I mean, or no tabs i i i volunteered <laughs> it I'll, I'll go first i'm gonna need 10 seconds to think i have an i have a great yeah so my my perfect movie novel would be um was it a book or a movie first Obviously, it's a book first. It's a it's a novel for it's a novel made for for the movies. Young male with no mother and a and a deep seated connection, unspoken connection to his father wakes up one morning to find his father has been brutally murdered across the country, and wanders fearlessly 
across the country by foot, <laughs> looking to avenge the death of his father, sleeps only in a Motel 8, and, and falls in love with a desk clerk at a Motel 8 in Toledo, who then comes with him to avenge the death of his father, and he arrives to find his, bo- his father buried in an unmarked grave and his father's killer pissing on, on the grave. And he is so overcome with grief that he cannot kill his father's murderer and his, his now wife, they're married in Reno, his now wife takes the paper knife, paper letter opener from, that he's been carrying for months from his pocket, from her now husband's pocket, and slices off the murderer's penis, and then kills, kills, kills him, and that's how the novel ends. Well, you just gave us the, the ending. Yeah, now. but that's yeah. that to me is is it. That was also just like a three hour thing when you said like thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> but you, and also I just want to add that with the letter opener, he's only been eating McDonald's chicken nuggets yeah. and and stabbing them yeah. with the letter opener um, and putting them in his mouth yeah. and forming little like Joker like cuts yeah. on the corners of yeah. his lips. <laughs> so hashtag violence, hashtag America. Hashtag, uh, hashtag male vulnerability. Hashtag Bruce Willis. And hashtag, yeah, ha- and hashtag, uh, yeah. Devin, that just sounds like one of your stories. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. That's the aim here is that we realize it. And But anyways, I, that, sounds like the, that's, that sounds like the stuff that you produced in Workshop. Yeah, I have to go back to that. But why, why don't, who's going to pick it up next? Shit. Do you guys want to go? I can go. I have nothing, but I'll just start going. All right. A big pharma, (laughs) a big pharma exec gets hooked on a new research drug that proves an untapped portion of the brain is available to us that can transcend between the third and fourth dimension oh my god that's enough i mean like, that's, that's it yeah. yeah that's it i think i, th- I think that's it oh ha- oh right 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 our, our producers are reminding me i got hashtags yeah hashtags hashtag i'm the plug <laughs> Has- hashtag drugs hashtag you gotta hashtag big pharma. Ha- hashtag big pharma. Hashtag fuck Scott Gottlieb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's hashtag Martin Schreiber. <laughs> yeah. So far, it does feel quite on brand. <laughs> yeah. 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 We don't even need bots, man. We could just do this all day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're waiting, George or Jared. Yeah. Let's hear it. Take it away, brother. Go ahead, George. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to go first? Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, wait. So I. I I need a, I need a refresher on on what it is exactly that we're doing. Are we programming? Are we talking about like the perfect movie? Your ideal your your ideal f- masterpiece slash entertainment. You know, like you, someone made the movie okay, for that's you. That's what I thought. Uh, or the the novel for you. Oh oh, and real quick, my algorithm is a, a binomial okay. uh, fraction over zero, so it doesn't really exist. Got it. Like you know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, th- th- thanks. thanks for that, Brian. Okay. <laughs> I think that's pretty easy. I, for me, I think that's going to have to be... I could probably do it with, with two, two sentences. Arnold Schwarzenegger and time travel. <laughs> uh, you can count me the fuck in. If you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger traveling through time, 
<laughs> As the kindergarten. Yeah, cop. I don't care what he is, you know, because he's the same guy in every movie. He's just, he's just, bi- he's sure. just the biceps. It's a wormhole. It helps if he's on Mars. Uh, <laughs> it's the you know if you want to if you want to throw if he's on Paul Mars. Paul Verhoeven would be my choice for this. Basically, I just want a total recall too. Got it. <laughs> I've just been waiting for that sequel <laughs> for the last. Yeah, which explains years. all of George's all of yeah. George's comments in this in this episode is he's <laughs> deeply invested in just mainlining entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, total. Just just type in total recall to enter. Run algorithm. No, that's, a, that's a great idea. <laughs> Hashtag Total Recall Two. I want all of our listeners to get on Twitter and make this shit happen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Let's do Dude, it. Dude, the move. The movement has begun. Let's, yeah, we've already got yeah. one tweet. Yeah. Hashtag Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> if you like what you hear, hashtag Total Recall Two. That's it. I think we can Let's do. Let's start a movement. I, Paul Verhoeven is still alive, isn't he? I think we could get him. I don't know who the fuck that is. I'm going to look him up oh, right man. now. Paul, how do you... Veer- Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee, man. Yeah, man. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. You're thinking wow. about Paul Hogan. I'm talking about Paul Verhoeven, who is the director of... Who's that? Oh, yeah, I was about to Dutch, say. He's a Dutch <laughs> hyper-violent science fiction director. You know? Jared's already jumping. Oh, Jared, Jared's already trying to mainstream this shit. Like, <laughs> I'm, ju- yeah, no, I'm jumping to my answer. How, how do we get, I mean, Paul how do we Hogan get is... all of Australia involved? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at photos of Paul Hogan. <laughs> yeah, that hat, man. That's like yeah. the Australia's version of the 10-gallon hat. I need that. Amazing. Also, Crocodile right, Dundee right, 3. Right, well. We'll take Crocodile Dundee 3, too. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I, uh, uh, our producers are telling me that she wants both of both of your movies, Jared and George, to involve murdering <laughs> Lars von Trier brutally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. To get Gladly. to get exactly what he is asking for, really. I mean, he's seriously just crying out for help. Yeah, <laughs> he wants. That'll to be, be the after credits. Anyway, okay, Jared, right, Jared. So I don't know. That could be your movie. I don't know. Go. What, what's your, what's your what's your movie? I just think we should keep. I yeah. I think we should just keep remaking Back to the Future. Oh That's like my the god. Movie. Oh god. I just I just went half dead <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm surprised, Jared, that yours isn't isn't more of a. a of a of the brow's not high enough, Devin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you have the capability to to descend your brow quite low, <laughs> but you also have he the can, capability. Fur- brow stoops. He, yeah, he can furrow the. Fuck your out of that your thing. forehead is is just huge, and so and your eyes your eyes are below your nose. So you your your brow your brow spectrum is is quite vast, and I was J- I was just, expecting the high end of your brow, not the lowest yeah. end. And just for no, that's the nade that's the nadir of my brow. <laughs> okay. Well, that that sentence in and of itself shows that's his movie. Yeah. The nadir of my brow. Yeah, that's fucking it right there. <laughs> it's just a pitch black movie, no characters, and just a a, a garbled voice speaking in reverse yeah. through a through one of those uh, <laughs> hashtag nothingness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just me explaining how disappointed I am in everyone yeah. for yeah. an hour and a half. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just for for our listeners, just to let you know, Jared is basically the Canadian Morrissey. So yeah, that's that's basically looks like him, talks like him. Yeah, everything. It's it, he is him, and and it's the only time I've ever seen him dance is when we went to a, a, a Smiths. Not what was that? What was that? Our our lovely producers. Like, it, yeah, another night I was uh, not was there. Like a, yeah, was it was it, like a Morrissey dance night. Like, they yeah. were playing the Smiths. Some, yeah, the day just before DJ. Jared got fired. That was. Yeah, I got fired the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You you ran you, you ran you ran the world's fastest drunk mile yeah. and then got fired. 
<laughs> and now, Crush and it. now you're yeah. now you're in Europe because you got fired. <laughs> yeah, pretty much defected, running from no, big but data. they will. They do, they do, yeah, moving away from big data. No, but they do teach the Back to the Future script in like virtually every screenwriting 101 yeah. class because it is like the perfect script. Yeah, well, it's a great example of, I think, what we were talking about before of a, of a successful movie that tapped into something artistic at the same time. Ish. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so or just did, just keep, did exactly what it said it was going to do, but did it quite well. Yeah, it did. I mean, back to the, the first Back to the Future is one of the greatest movies ever Agreed. made. Yeah, so if we just keep going, if we just keep going back to the future, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I think that works. I don't know what that means, but I think I think that's actually the plot of my story. Somehow, I don't know. Yeah, I think we just need drugs. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we were we were talking about big data, and we were talking about algorithmically making movies. Yeah. Well, comment below with what your favorite movie what your favorite movie yeah, is. Yeah. George, do you want to talk about how you are aiding and abetting this system by constantly going to see every Avengers movie? Yeah, that comes absolutely. Out? I'd be thrilled. Uh, <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> so so I here's the thing: talking about subversive and popular, and how how it goes around comes around, right? When I was a young man, this was subversive, <laughs> right? Comic books were were the things that the unpopular yeah, people enjoyed. Uh, yeah. genre, what the fucking right, losers genre did. fiction yeah. anime <laughs> now all of these things have come up so that I, I mean they've they've really dominated young adult culture now and they pervade into adulthood and they and they stay with us and so i i have sure. no problem gushing about marvel superheroes or star wars which if you ask me is is, is you know it's it's never going to be the original trilogy right but the marvel movies are making gangbusters and here's the thing they're pretty good like I'm I'm I, yeah. don't, I don't just eat any shit that shoveled in the direction of my ma- of my <laughs> face hole like I I have I have some like I know the difference between shit is what I'm saying I know when to close my mouth <laughs> right just turn your head like, man I'm not I'm not going to watch Captain America punch an alien uh, with a shield made of of imaginary metal because I need to understand like what I'm doing and with, with my life or you know I want I want to come to terms with uh, that loved one that I lost you know I'm going to watch him punch an alien in the face with a shield made out of imaginary metal cuz it's fucking crazy and it's and it's a hell of a lot of fun <laughs> right that's great I think you, I think you just I, I think you just made me realize that Wu-Tang Clan is is a metaphor for big data in the sense that they just sew our assholes shut and just keep feeding us. <laughs> well, I think we should. I think we should note here that amongst amongst all of us, George is the most shamelessly commercial in his enjoyment of of certain films. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Top Gun, Top Gun. Let's talk about Top Gun. Well, Top Gun is one of the best movies. That's an algorithm movie, right there. Yeah, that's like that, perfect, just and, like Back and, to and the Future. Making another one, and I think it's it's they a great, don't know. Well, well, they're yeah, they've been in. It's been in the works. I, it's, wow, is it going to be? I Tom? think they're finally doing it though. Yeah, it's going to be in three D. Tom and Val. Yeah. See, now the algorithm is going to. Tom is going to put in an algorithm yeah. for like a Scientology subversion. Yeah. But what it would it would Top Gun shows, and I, I don't want to wax poetic here on Top Gun. But I do. What, but what it do. does show to me <laughs> is that Top Gun was Top Gun was made pre big data, and I think they stumbled onto a formula or they predicted a formula that worked, which is just like. 
again, as, as was it Scorsese or Tarantino who said it's like mainlining adrenaline? And it's, I mean, they just said, like, let's get a bunch of hot dudes. Let's get some hot women. Let's put the dudes in things that go 400 miles an hour mm-hmm. or actually like 800 yeah, miles right, an yeah, hour. Right let's put some explosions in and let's call it a wrap, you know, and like, <laughs> let's, and also like, let's shove it all up through the orifice of the military industrial <laughs> yeah, complex jingoism. and come out on, come out on the side of the cold war. Like, so <laughs> it, it, the formula worked. And what's fascinating to me about Top Gun and what I can never get over is that same director directed Days of Thunder, which came out two years later, I think, <laughs> which is essentially the same movie, except it takes place on the ground with NASCARs, which go one eighth of the speed or one tenth of the speed as a as a F eighteen. Is it Formula F- One? No, it's it's just NASCAR. It's just NASCAR. And it and it's oh yeah exactly the same plot. Like Tom Cruise falls in love with a woman, also has a rivalry with someone. Uh-huh. Everyone is wearing jumpsuits still. Uh-huh. And, and there's like some cigar yeah. like some cigar pinching coach and, who's just like, God damn it, like you're yeah. so arrogant. And it's <laughs> like And it's so much worse than Top Gun only by virtue that everyone who's seen Days of Thunder has seen Top Gun before and says, well, this is Top Gun, but it's on the ground. And so it shows the folly of, uh, it shows, I guess, to George's point that if some algorithm was working, they would have said, okay, Top Gun works. What's the only way we can make it better? Oh, we have to put it in space. Speaking of understanding that, like your contention is that the success of the film was not up to its plot, but to the... A relative speed of the activity they were undertaking. I think, <laughs> yes. I think that's correct. I mean, the plot's fine. The plot, the plot is great. There, it's it, a, it's it a felt tip- inert. <laughs> yeah, the plot is the same as, as any plot, which is just you know, yeah. And the names too. I mean, it, 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 you also can't go back to Earth because on Earth people go by their real names, and and when you're flying fighter planes, you yeah, can be just called Maverick, Maverick yeah. Hollywood, like the name Slider. <laughs> Maverick, Hollywood, Iceman, like Viper. It sounds like a Marvel yeah. comic book you, movie when you when you talk about. Yeah, it, it is. It does truly. It does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I love Top Gun unashamedly, and I, I will I will always love it. Goose. I mean, and Goose is Goose is what makes the movie. Goose died. Right? How Goose died. Spoiler yeah. alert. Sorry, we gotta yeah. go back and sorry. <laughs> if, in case someone hasn't seen Top Gun, yeah. Goose dies in a scene that still makes me cry. Okay, Daniel, you didn't have to tell us that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Terrifying sex scene, too. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, have you seen Top Gun, Shirt? Yeah, of okay. course. I mean, like, anyone, like, it's it's two bodies silhouetted and then a tongue yeah. snakes out of... Tom, some, Cruise, Tom Cruise's mouth. Of both yeah. of their mouths at the yeah. same time, as if they're inhabited by some sort of uh, demon. Yeah, it's like Lady and, in the Tramp. Yeah, like, and then the tongues yeah. meet silhouetted against, like, a blue-black night sky or, or window, and it's just... It's just these two tongues, yeah, and there's and so much space between uh, <laughs> between the tongue and the roof of their mouths. <laughs> yeah, and they're playing take that my uh, take, my, yeah. take my yeah. breath away song. Yeah. By take Berlin. my breath away. Yeah, it's fucking classic. Yeah, great, great soundtrack by the oh, way. Oh, it, it is a great soundtrack. The only way that would have been better is if they played uh, "Dying in Your Arms Tonight." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. At oh, some yeah. point, not not necessarily that scene, but you know. yeah. But uh, okay, so uh, all right, so. At this point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna inject some moral seriousness yeah. into this discussion. We're, that's what, yeah, that's what, 
<laughs> Once we let George we, speak, we need, we yeah, we needed some... Jared to to corral us back from space. <laughs> and so, you know, because this is this was already imagined by Wallace. I mean, this is the this is the whole premise of Infinite Jest. Imagine something that's so entertaining that you don't want to do anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine like the perfect piece of entertainment that just like renders you inert and useless, right? And dead. In, in, in and literally yeah. in that in that book yeah i mean but that right. that's and, and like uh, idiocracy too like you know that movie that's basically the the end game it's just we all just sit even even tom segura have you guys heard of tom segura mm-hmm. stand-up comedian yeah yeah, yeah like he, his his latest stand-up or like one of his one of his ones he talks about how like the dream is just to never leave his recliner you know yeah <laughs> just like everything like you know amazon doesn't just deliver it just like literally like you have a shoot where it just like <laughs> you know, hurdles through and you have yeah. your fucking like meal or whatever, you know? <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I mean that, but, but that real, that really is like, that really could be like one of the end games, except for like, you know, when you get virtual reality and stuff, there might be just these big rooms that we walk around in like fucking idiots, but you know, we have the goggles on or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, how good, I don't, I don't know what you going to pose a question, Jared, or you're just mentioning that. Yeah. No. Well, okay. So what I'm, so, so what I'm working towards is, is is this so you know building you know writing writing a a novel or making a movie is not like constructing a big mac or like creating a recipe for coke like when coke designs their recipes they measure that shit down to like the nanometer mm-hmm. There are like minute variations between different recipes, and they'll they do this kind of stuff for market research. They'll lay like twenty five cans of Coke out on the table and have people test them all. And if for some reason people say that they enjoyed like number eighteen the most, they will use that recipe. And the difference between all the cans is like negligible; like it's so small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which always, but like something always amazed me. But they got like a, they got like electrodes hooked up to their head and like something's firing in their brain that like means that that is the most pleasurable recipe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so can you, you know, uh, but creating art is not like that. And, you know, we all know that Coke tastes great. We all know that a Big Mac is great, but we know that it doesn't make us feel good. It doesn't nourish us, although it is wildly enjoyable. Right. And so the question that, uh, the question that I'm really asking is, it's going to sound kind of controversial, but is the purpose of art really to be as entertaining as possible yeah. is the purpose of art to deliver maximum pleasure or is there something more to it uh, well this is my my very basic like you know shoot off the hip answer is that i do think the one of the reasons i do really champion contemporary l- literature is because i do think it has done a really good job in in a lot of cases in in, in a in a at a higher rate than in the past of combining entertainment and substance Mm -hmm. and and those are my favorite books i mean like infinite jest is a perfect example of that cloud atlas maybe my favorite book another great example of that again that's that caters to my biases my biases though because like cloud atlas is not easy to everyone infinite jest is not easy to everyone i don't know yeah that that that, that's my real basic yeah well then it, it calls into question to me that the culture of consumption that we're living in where I think as a society, we, I, think it's, I don't think it's controversial to say that as a society, we value enjoyment over substance or, enjo- or entertainment over gratification. X. Yeah. yeah. Immediate gratification above all else. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's just, you're, you, don't, you won't see, part of this is like, we don't, no one, I mean, you, you could technically have the time, but 
as a generalization, no one has the time anymore the way they did when fucking Swan's Way came out to sit with Proust for a long fucking time. Which, which is also a, a, a product of technology. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know? and, and so, I mean, I, the, the culture we live in changes the way we consume art. And it's it's hard to argue whether or not it's I am I am so jaded about it that I don't really care if this <laughs> is a positive or negative thing. I think it's just the way it is. And yeah, I just don't Yeah, but as much as you as much as you love Top Gun though, Devin, sure. like that's not all you need, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't fill you up. Yeah. And and it, I think what's what's interesting is I, I sense in me a I sense in me a need every once in a while to sit with a hard with a, a what someone might call a hard book to read. Mm-hmm. And that's also because like I that was a th- that but also that gives me pleasure so that's my bias but like uh, every once in a while I know like like this summer I want to sit with I want to read Moby Dick because I just want to sit with a book for a long fucking time. I also know that reading Moby Dick will give me vast amounts of pleasure even though it takes a great Yeah, well George George loves Moby yeah. Dick. Oh, yeah. so George well, I mean, I, on that. For me and and Moby Dick falls into this category. Like I I enjoy being entertained. I really do, but I think what I like more, what I enjoy more, what I find more as Jared said nourishment from is something that puzzles me. Like uh, I I want something that I have to that I have to think about because no you, you don't like to sit and 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 you know things like that can be enjoyable as well. I can think of, you know, several films over the last few years that do exactly that. Not the least of which was uh, the Lobster. What's that director's name, Jared? Oh uh, uh, yeah, he does fantastic stuff. Oh, uh, he, he's a he's a Greek director. I, yeah, I can't remember his yeah, last we, name. Yeah, we watched that a few years ago. Yeah, yeah he favorite. just did. I'm yeah, looking it up now. I haven't seen the it. Favorite. He did the favorite, which I haven't seen but, yet. Yeah, uh, I, I like something that baffles me. I like something that that's that's new enough to inspire consideration long after the long after you through reading it or watching it. And, and uh, that's, that's, I find that, again, as Jared said, nourishing, something you have to sit with, something that you, you don't just comprehend at face value, as you can do with so much, you know, of the, of the popular media. Yeah, I, and I think what one of the dangers of contemporary culture and the way in which we ingest information is it becomes harder and harder. And I see this when I, when I teach, too, when I teach students who grew up with this form of mass media, it becomes harder and harder to instill instill the intrinsic importance of having intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. of having of learning for learning's sake, of thinking for thinking's sake, of finding pleasure in, as you say, George, like being puzzled by something. And I think that's that's that to me, and this is mostly coming from a teacher's point of view, is one of the biggest losses. And I think that is a loss. I think it's even though information is readily accessible now, some things are worth working for. And that's a, it's a, and that's a difficult agenda to push now because people don't want to hear that. And, it, and people say it's old school or whatever, it's archaic. But I think it's really important, especially when you're young, to learn the value of sitting with something you're puzzled by mm-hmm. and figuring it out on your own or not figuring it out, coming to a place where you don't figure it out, but then realizing, oh, the attempting was, was the pleasure. That, yeah, um, that, and yeah. I worry about that. I, it, people read, like it is, people do only read headlines now and they don't sit with things and they don't read the whole article and they don't blah, blah, blah. And it's, I'm becoming, I'm sounding like a 60, it makes me feel like I'm sounding like a 60 year old man, but really I'm sounding like a 27 year old person who is, had an education that 
showed me the value of that, and I don't see it. I don't right. see it well, anymore. That, uh, yeah, may, just just yeah. real quick, that makes me think of what Emerson would think of today's culture, just because, yep. like, you know, that's basically self reliance, you know. Yeah. But anyway, Jared, so Emerson would have made a great tweeter. <laughs> yeah. Like he would have. Yeah, he would have. So would have. So would Thoreau. Imi- I mean, imitation is suicide. Fucking viral tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as 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 would Oscar Wilde, he would have. Oh made my great god, he would have. Yeah, style. he would have been the tweet master general, man. <laughs> yeah, he was the original tweeter. Seriously. Oh fuck. Yeah, we really missed that. Well, that. I mean, yeah. Re- regarding what you were saying, Devin, that's where a book like Infinite Jest is actually quite wise and quite profound because. You know, Wallace, when he was writing it, had to had to try and somehow manage the irony that he was writing about a culture that was obsessed with entertainment and maximum pleasure, while also trying to make the book pleasurable, but not so pleasurable that it was succumbing to the very thing he was trying to describe, yeah. right? And so he tried to write a novel that pushed on people a little bit. And, you know, we all, we're all writers here. We all have friends who are writers, and we all know how much people complain about Infinite Jest and how few people have actually read mm-hmm. it. And... It seems like maybe in that regard, the book was kind of a failure. And fun fact, actually, the original subtitle for Infinite Jest was a failed entertainment. (laughs) But Michael Peach made him remove it. But that was sort of Wallace's intention was that maybe maybe the concept of making something that pleasurable is in itself kind of like it's asking for too much. You know, it's doomed to failure in that sense. That's interesting. That is very interesting. But yeah, just just one one more comment about kind of just, you know, difficulty and how important it is in our lives. I, I think the the biggest danger in our culture is just the lack of exposure now to difficulty. And and I, I do mean in a literary like in terms of literature, it's it, it, we just literacy is just a problem now mm-hmm. compared to in the past, despite the over like enormous access we have to language you know like more than ever and it's 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 so ironic to me and being exposed to language and and being able to suss out language and becoming better with language only begets a deeper interest and the more distant we are from it the less we're going to care about it and that's that's kind of scary i don't know the remedy for that i don't know i mean especially especially in a world where binary is becoming pretty pretty important and and in a world yeah it's gonna re- it's gonna re- it's gonna render us more and more passive yeah yeah and i mean and i don't know i don't know what that means like you know and when i say binary i also mean like literally like you know what like what we're doing digitally is becoming more important and i don't know how that's going to affect language in the future especially when we start to be able to read exactly what's going on in our minds more and more that that's another scary feature for art especially writing Direct access to minds is going to be. It's going to take a. It's going to take the mask off, and it's going to take the drama away a lot. That's actually something else I did want to talk about. I mean, just because big data is going to take away a lot of our choices, and without choice, there's no drama, and without drama, there's no story. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's probably not in the near future, but it is. You know, if we're ta- if we're talking about people sitting on their recliners and having things brought to them, you know, yeah. entertainment, nourishment, whatever, money whatever you need. I mean, the drama's gone, you know, but I don't know. Infinite pleasure. Maybe that's better. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should go around again yeah. and in one word describe what we feel about the future. Oh, one word. One word. God damn it. True writerly fashion. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll close. We'll close with this. Okay. Let's meditate. Are Let's we going to medi- meditate? It's cool. We call this a turn and talk, <sighs> but we're not talking. We're just gathering our thoughts. 
Dear baby. No. <laughs> this is hard, man. It's one word. Everything's going to feel so... It's one word. It's not going to be right. All right, then go first. You go no, first. I went first last time. Damn it. All right, George, you uh, go first. Pass. <laughs> Come back to me. <laughs> that I like that. I it actually can, like, be. can that be your word? <laughs> no, George needs a word. <laughs> I like that as a word, pass. but George gets another word. George I think gets it's pretty two, great. George gets two words. <laughs> no, why don't we? No, why doesn't no. our producer? Why, why doesn't I mean, our producer begin by writing a word on the? Uh, on the uh, uh, on the why don't we, we can say our producer is making gestures of uh, eschewal. <laughs> Here she goes. Community is wow. her word. Optimism yes, that's, there. That's very optimistic. Yes. I'm 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 very concerned about community when it comes to the future. Okay. The okay. Well, I'll I can't reduce it to one word, but I'll I'll kind of encapsulate. Nah, it's got to be I think what I said. This one's got to be one word. <laughs> it's got to be one word. I can't can't do it. Then, sorry. Well, I'll just I'll just say try to encapsulate sort of what I've been thinking this whole time, what I've been thinking these past couple of days as my closing closing statement, which is that you know the the question of what kind of art is good for the soul is an age old question. It goes all the way back to you know Socrates arguing with Thucydides about poetry, and you know Plato famously believed that poetry was kind of a corrupt form because it relied on artifice to instruct. Whereas like philosophy was more pure because it was a direct delivery system, right? Which is of course ridiculous. But oh, yeah. yeah. If if we're you know, if we're if we can imagine a future in which we are, you know, passive consumers of perfectly constructed pieces of entertainment which are marketed directly to us and are not challenging to us at all and simply gratify like that part of our brain that just like wants the Big Mac, you know? That to me will be, that will mean a certain loss of humanity because it will mean a certain loss of freedom, both in the creation of art and in the reception of art. And I think that puts the whole question of like negotiable meaning, communal meaning, and the commerce between the uh, audience and the artist into question. And I just don't like the idea of that. I mean, I'm like a chronic worrier when it comes about this kind of stuff, especially technology. But living in that kind of world where everything is just like, you know, automatically generated for us based on algorithms is going to mean a loss of humanity in more ways than one. But that will be a very deep one indeed. So worried. Anxiety. Is your your one word. I was also going to say for him, I'll I'll use this as my word. (laughs) Angst. Angst. I'll, I'll use I'll use I'll use it as my word. But some a part of what you're saying is basically and everyone can look this up now, but meretricious. I think is the word I'll say. I think that defines a lot of our art, a lot of our mainstream art. I think it kind of always has. Yeah. No, I, 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 and yeah, that, that's my word. That's my word. Okay. I'm going for it. My word's just terrified. Terrified. Yeah. Terrified. Ang- anxiety was going to be <laughs> yeah. my other word. I'm torn between, but that's just me. I was torn between reactionary and terrified, but I don't even think we'll be reactionary. I think we'll be too complacent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't uh, think we'll even have the power. I would love to be reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. I terrified. The loss of ennui is terrifying too. The fact that our dailiness of life yeah. will be corrupted. Ennui ter- has been replaced by anxiety and fear. Yeah. And, yeah. Ennui is, a, is, is, yeah. Okay. And uh, George's pass. Well, boredom, boredom, Devin, boredom is just terror spread thin. Is that like, is that like Camus or something? No, that's me. Oh, man. wow. That's I <laughs> tweet that, man. Get that out yeah, there. Get, get viral. Yeah. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I'm putting it on there. Viral. Viral, too, is a good word for the future as well. Viral is good. Yeah. The idea that. Something that there's an infection. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Okay. All right, guys. We're gonna we're gonna fucking stop now. 
Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Animal Riot Press or Facebook and Instagram under the same name or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 10th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Devin Kelly, George Sawaya, and Jared Pollan. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Hmm. Hashtag Total Recall 2. Together we can do this. (laughs) Uh, Good shit. Getting gully as the fern. I don't know much about Lee.